0: All right, so today is Resurrection Sunday. No, oh, oh, is it Palm Sunday? Oh, boy, I think I got the wrong message then today. Actually, today is Palm Sunday, but in many ways, it is also a Resurrection Sunday, right? Today, as Palm Sunday, we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and as we had our palm branches as well. But many people think next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, and it is. That's when Jesus rose again from the dead. But do you know that Palm Sunday would never have happened without a resurrection? Palm Sunday would not have taken place if it wasn't for a significant event that happened as a resurrection. And that's what we're gonna look at uh, today. We see in the Old Testament some of the, the prophecies. Zechariah 9 and verse 9, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. There's a prophecy about Jesus. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Another verse in Psalm 118 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, speaking about Jesus. But the question that we have to ask is, who is this king? And that's the title of the message today. Let me just set the stage for you here for Palm Sunday, because in order to, to understand Palm Sunday, we have to understand a few other things that came actually before it. See, there was really, in in Jesus' day as he came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, there was a a misunderstanding, a a misconception, a, a false vision, and might even say a confusion of scripture of what was really happening when King Jesus came into Jerusalem. See, throughout Israel's history, they were always looking for their Messiah. They were always looking for that king, for that redeemer to come. Not the way that Jesus came, but they were looking for that Redeemer to come and establish the kingdom of Israel back again to how it was during the days of David and during the days of Solomon because this Messiah, this king, would sit on the throne of David. Even all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, the prophecy was there that a Redeemer would come and bruise the head of that serpent Okay, When when Moses spoke, Moses spoke of a deliverer that was going to come for Israel. Throughout the scriptures, we read of these prophecies. We read about this prediction that someone in the lineage of David would come and sit upon the throne of David forever and ever. And we'll look at that in a a moment, how the people even thought that the Messiah should live forever. In Psalm 24, we read about the uh, open the gates that the king of glory shall come in. We read so many times throughout Scripture this prediction, this prophecy, this expectation that the children of Israel had. That they wanted a Messiah, a Redeemer, a King to come. They were waiting. But now let's turn back the clocks a little bit a few weeks before Palm Sunday actually happened. See, right before Jesus' triumphal entry in John chapter 12, we read about a time when Jesus was in the house of Lazarus, in the house of Mary and Martha, and how Mary came and, and, and poured some ointment on Jesus' feet and how she poured out her love to Jesus at that time. It was very expensive perfume. But the question is, why did Mary do that? Well, you got to turn back the clock even further. That happened, Mary's anointing Jesus' feet happened about a week before the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday. But you turn back the clocks even further a few weeks before that, in John chapter 11, just the chapter before, we read about a significant miracle a significant miracle that Jesus did, which I would say is probably the climax and peak of Jesus' miracles, the climax of Jesus' wonders that he did when he was here on the earth, and that was the resurrection of Lazarus. That was Lazarus who had been dead for four days. Jesus went and said, Lazarus, come forth, And Lazarus came back to life after being dead for four days. It was a significant miracle. You know, Jesus fed 5,000 people. Jesus even brought back other people from the dead. Jesus healed blind and lame people and all these sort of things. But this, this miracle of bringing back Lazarus from the dead was a significant miracle because it changed the tide of Jesus' ministry. See, Jesus knew that when he raised Lazarus from the dead, things were never going to be the same. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he knew after this miracle, the people are gonna be angry at me. The religious people are gonna be after me. But the reason why, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday morning... the the children of Israel saw Jesus and they thought, if this man can bring back a dead man that was dead for four days, man, I want that guy as king. If he can bring back Lazarus from the dead, that's the guy we need as king. That's the guy we want to follow. If he can do that, nothing is too hard for him. Oh, they had an expectation of who they wanted as a king. And Jesus fit that expectation because of the power, because of the glory, because of the wonders and signs that he was able to do. But it wasn't the king. Sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. Oh, Maybe I need to speak a little bit louder. It wasn't the king that the scriptures had prophesied about, right? Look in John chapter 12 and verse nine. It says, when all the people heard of Jesus's arrival, they flocked to see him and also who? Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. See, Jesus was in in, in Lazarus' house in Bethany and they, people came, floods of people came. Why? Because the news had spread. The people were talking. The news had gone out. Lazarus is alive, Jesus raised somebody from the dead who was dead for four days. And everyone, were com- they were coming to see, they were coming to behold, who is this person, right? In, in John 20, verses 17 and 18, it says, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. See, the people had heard. There was a great expectation. They had been waiting for years, thousands of years. They wanted a king. They wanted their Messiah. They wanted a a, a person who would rule over Israel and establish Israel back to its glory days as the kingdom of Israel that was the greatest over all of the land. And they waited. They wanted their Messiah. They knew that this Messiah was going to live forever. We'll see a verse in a moment about that. They knew their Messiah was going to sit on the throne of David. They knew that he was going to rule and reign and make Israel the greatest nation in the world during, like it was during the days of David and Solomon. They were waiting for their Messiah, and they thought they found him in King Jesus. Their perception and their expectation was one thing. But Jesus was a totally different king. After Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he began predicting his death. Not began, but he continued to talk about his death. And the people were utterly confused because on Palm Sunday, they welcomed King Jesus into their midst with the palm branches. They said, Hosanna to the king of Israel. They thought, this is our man. Who else can we get? He raised Lazarus from the dead. That's it. That's all we need. If he can do that, he's going to do everything else for us. But then look what it says in John 12, verse 34. The crowd responded. because This is after Jesus is predicting his death. He's saying, I'm going to die. And the, the crowds are confused. Hold on. We want you to be alive, Jesus. You can't die. You can't leave us. And so the crowds responded. We understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. Jesus, if you're the Messiah, you need to live forever. Can you stop this talk about dying? How can you say the Son of Man will die? Just who is the Son of Man anyway? They were confused. They didn't know what was going on. They thought Jesus was finally the Messiah that they had wanted, that they had desired for. But Jesus was speaking a completely different language. He had a completely different purpose and he had a completely different vision. That's why in John 18, he says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, My followers would fight to keep me from from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus was a king, not the king that they wanted, but the king that the Father wanted, and actually the king that they and us need. In John 1 and verse 10 and 11, it says, he came until he came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him because they had a perception, they had an expectation. I want the Messiah to be like this. I want the king to be like this. And when that miracle of Lazarus coming back to life happened, they thought, this seals it, this is our guy. But they ended up rejecting him because Jesus was not that king to rule over the world at that time. But he came as the suffering servant to redeem humanity from the depravity of sinfulness, from brokenness and lostness. In the very next verse to here in John 1 verse 12, it says, but to those who believe in him, to them he gave power to become or to be called the children of God. Going back to Psalm 118, see, there was a cry for the Messiah. What was the cry? Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But their cry for, Lord, save us, was not, Lord, save us and forgive us of our sins and give us eternal life. Their cry for, Lord, save us and for, Lord, grant us success was, Lord, come back and kick out these Romans and restore Israel back to its glory days. That was the cry on Palm Sunday. That's what they wanted. That's what the people wanted. That's what they were celebrating. We finally found our king. But it's not what God wanted. God wanted to give them a greater picture of salvation, one that would liberate not their physical body so much, but liberate their souls from destruction and darkness into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so many times even in our lives, we pray, God, do this for me. God, do it this way for me. God, do it that way for me. Lord, I want this and I want that. And we ask the Lord so many things and we want it our way, just like the children of Israel wanted it their way. But how many of us know that so many times God does not do it our way, God does it his way. God does things his way. His ways are not like our ways. See, Jesus knew that raise, raising Lazarus from the dead would result in the crowds cheering for him as king. But he knew that the religious people would get upset because of that and thereby call for him to be killed. And he knew that that was God's plan for him to be crucified. And that he knew that by dying, he would redeem humanity. He knew that, that he would rise again from the third day, which we'll look at this week. And he knew that this would be the beginning of this amazing kingdom that he was going to establish and i really think now this is not 100% you can see this in the bible but you know when jesus stood there ready to raise up lazarus from the dead his his heart was moved with compassion even to the point that he was weeping i really believe i don't think he was really weeping because lazarus was dead he knew what he was going to do he knew what he was going to do days before that he was going to ra- raise lazarus up again but i believe his heart was moved with compassion and his heart was moved because he realized The moment I do this, this is the catalyst for everything else that's gonna happen during Easter week. The moment I do this and I I raise raise Lazarus from the dead, this is the beginning of the end. This is gonna start a chain of events that's gonna lead to Palm Sunday, that's gonna lead to my betrayal, that's gonna lead to my crucifixion, that's gonna lead, lead to my burial, that's gonna lead to so much agony and suffering and anguish, and he knew what was was gonna happen. It was prophesied about in Isaiah 53. And so we have to see, who is this king? And I just wanna share with you very quickly just three things about King Jesus that he talks about here in John chapter 12 that I think are intrinsically connected together but also are a deep reflection of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be, of what King Jesus wants for his kingdom, right? And the first thing is obedient humility. Jesus came into Jerusalem and, and, and was hailed as the king with shouts of Hosanna, riding humbly uh, uh, on a donkey. This wasn't new to Jesus, this, this, th- this humility. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse five, it talks about that. But this wasn't new to Jesus. Jesus came into this world into a manger. In a, the, the king of the universe was born into such a lowly place. He he didn't have a certain dwelling place. He lived the itinerant lifestyle. He, He was open towards the disenfranchised. He embodied humility as a characteristic of his kingdom. And if we desire to be part of that kingdom, and if we desire to call Jesus our king, then this is something that we need to cultivate as well. And it's not easy because we need the grace of God to humble ourselves. In our booklet today, the topic for today is humility two other things that happened in Holy Week just very quickly that I think really exemplified Jesus's humility one was that he washed the disciples feet you can read about it in John 13 verses three to five the verses are there but what's significant about this is the very first part that says Jesus knew that the father had given him all authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God Jesus knew that he was supremely powerful Jesus knew that he was the final authority and the final word. Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew that all authority was in his hands and what did he do? He humbled himself to go and wash the disciples' feet. The king of all the universe went to wash the dirty disciples' feet. That dirty, stinky feet, his heart was to serve with humility. There's nothing too low, nothing too small, nothing too demeaning for Jesus. And he says in verse 14 and 15, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. He left us an example to follow. Maybe this week, can you think of somebody that you need to go to, that you need to wash their feet, whether that's literally or symbolically? Is there someone that you need to reconcile with? Is there a relationship that you need to fix? It takes great humility. Is there someone that you need to wash their feet? Our King Jesus challenges us. It's not to stay at the same status quo, but to excel in obedient humility. And the second thing that we see this week of Holy Week is that he went to the cross. This is the ultimate example of obedient humility, and we'll look at this later on uh, this week on, on Good Friday as we see what Jesus did. In Philippians 2, verse 8, it says, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This was his amazing humility. And he calls us now, if we are to call him King Jesus, and if we are to be part of his kingdom, he calls us now to take up our cross and follow him. As In Luke 9, verse 23, he says, if you want to be my follower, you must give up uh, all that you own, take up your cross and follow me. See, in contrast to the kingdoms and kings of this world, the kingdom and King Jesus is completely Polar opposites. If you look in the Old Testament, for example, King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, we see that how he was proud about all of his accomplishments and finally he went crazy. Because he, until he acknowledged the God of heaven and then he was restored into his kingdom. Daniel 4, verse 37, talks about that. And at the end of that verse, it says, All his acts are just and true. He is able to do what? Humble the proud. See, the kingdoms of this world and the kings of this world are in polar opposite contrast to King Jesus. Herod, uh, Herod Agrippa, as well, in the book of Acts, we see how he gave a speech, and finally, after he gave the speech, he was so proud about his speech that he fell down dead, and worms started to eat his body. See, the way of the world is the way of pride and honor and prestige. The way of King Jesus is one of humility, meekness, and the lowly path. And so let's learn to take up our cross and follow him. The second thing is selfless love. When you think about, this is when you actually think about others before you think about yourself. See, our, our, whole, our own human nature is that our own human nature causes us to be selfish, causes us to be conceited and self-centered. It's, it's about the better me, not the better you. That's what our human nature tells us. But King Jesus, he thinks about others before he thinks about himself. The actions and way of his kingdom is about selfless love. It was, it was the ultimate display on Calvary. In John 12, verse 24, it says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soils and dies, this is Jesus even predicting his own death, it remains alone, but, if it, but its death will produce many new kernels and a plentiful harvest of new lives. See, our King Jesus is the greatest example of selfless love. Just as Jesus died to his own will in order to fulfill the the Father's will, we need to follow in that example. And that's why in verse 25 and verse 26 it says, those who love their life in this world will lose it, for those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me. Now, this might sound crazy, but yes, it's the craziness of the kingdom of God. It, the way of the world tells us that, that we should do everything that's possible to save our life, to promote ourselves, to make our name great. But Jesus tells us the complete opposite. There's so many times that they wanted to make Jesus king but, and for him to rule and reign, just like it was on Palm Sunday. In John 6, earlier on, it says, When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, what did he do? He slipped away into the hills by himself. Even on Palm Sunday, as they were hailing him with shouts of Hosanna to be their king, Jesus wanted to show them another way. Jesus wanted to show them the selfless, loving way. And that's the way that he calls all of us to live in this new kingdom that he is building. That's why in John 15, he says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for One's friends. Before we think of ourselves, we think of others, right? Philippians chapter 3 rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's the kingdom that Jesus is building. Look to the interests of others, not to our own interests. This is the upside-down kingdom. This is is King Jesus thinking about what's better for others instead of himself and what he calls us to do, to think of others first before we think of ourselves. Naturally, what do we do? We think of ourselves. Naturally, our own human nature causes us to be selfish and conceited and, and to think of our own. But King Jesus calls us in another way. He came to seek out our interests. He came... Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is kingdom living. It's opposite to human nature, opposite to our personal desires. You know, within our own culture today, there is a value for understanding, for defending and advocating for the rights of others. Where did this value come from? It it doesn't come from a naturalistic uh, evolutionary worldview. It doesn't come from a social invention. It comes from the Judeo-Christian worldview that stems from the teaching of Jesus, that there's kindness in his kingdom. That's where it starts from. That's what's revolutionized the world. He said that his kingdom is not of this world, otherwise his servants would fight. Instead, his kingdom is marked by selfless love. That's the mark of his kingdom. And the last thing, is deflecting glory. You know, we all desire to have glory that we think what we deserve. If we do a good deed, we hope that somebody would find out, maybe to give us a pat on the back, right? If we help someone, we hope that we will receive some type of affirmation or congratulations or a thank you. If we succeed in some way, we want other people to know about that. If we win the race, we want the prize. We look for ways, even if it's, if it's unintentional, sometimes where we don't think about it so much, but just naturally we start to speak about our own good works and our own good deeds. Ultimately, we desire glory. And speaking of the religious leaders of his day, Jesus said, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. But King Jesus demonstrates for us something that is very countercultural deflecting glory. Inasmuch as he was the king, inasmuch as he deserved glory and honor, he sought to actively deflect that glory and honor to the Father. John 12, verse 28 says, Father, bring glory to your name. In everything Jesus said and did, his desire was not for himself, but to bring glory to the Father. Even though Jesus was the express representation of the glory of God, he still sought to deflect glory to the Father. And if Jesus did it, how much more should we do that, right? John 17 says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Even though he knew that what would happen the rest of this week, as we journey through this week, uh, what's called Holy Week, Easter Week, as we journey through this week, he knew that what he would go through would be excruciatingly painful. He completed it to bring glory to God. In Psalm 115 it says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. The psalmist cries out, he says, not for us, no, no, Lord, not for us, not for our glory, not for our praise, not for our honor, but God for your glory, for your praise. Whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. Jesus always sought to draw people to the Father, And so we should actively seek to draw people to Jesus. Sometimes we like it when people praise us, honor us, follow us, appreciate us, but we need to be deflecting that glory to God because we realize that it's really not about us. It's all about him. Ultimately, the wonderful reception that Jesus received on Palm Sunday as king led to a heartbreaking rejection by his own people. And that was prophesied about as well in Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. But but that rejection led to the establishing of God's kingdom. Not the way that people wanted it because they wanted King Jesus for who King Jesus was in the world, the the miracle worker, the healer, the one who stood against the religious people because then he could stand against Rome. That's what they wanted as their Messiah. But the King Jesus that came was that stone that the builders rejected that became the cornerstone for the foundation of God's kingdom, for the house that God is building where we are. Are living stones within that house, called to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God and live for his glory. It was that rejection that led to the establishing of the kingdom of God. It is what God is doing and it is wonderful to see. And now we're left with the same decision. Are we gonna reject Christ and his kingdom because of what we want or what we desire, like the Jews did towards Jesus? or will we accept him and be part of this majestic and wonderful upside-down kingdom? I'm gonna close uh, with a story of a man named James Barrett. James grew up in a Christian home, and at one point in his life, he was living on the streets with the poor because it was the only option that made sense to him in response to the gospel. Not that he was poor, he was actually He was well off see James had gone on mission trips and he'd been active in his church he would volunteer at homeless shelters but he felt like there was something missing he said quote I wasn't friends with the poor I knew they were poor and I was wealthy but I didn't know them he graduated from the university he got a good job with JP Morgan and Chase and was almost making six figures when but he wasn't happy and then his life changed. He went on a mission trip to Nicaragua, and there he met a lady from Jamaica who was there in Nicaragua, who was living amongst the poor there in a garbage dump. And she spoke words of life into him that were very hard and difficult words to hear, but yet they were words of life that radically changed him. And he realized that there was a difference in admiring Christ and following him. So he went home and told his mom he wanted to be homeless. This is what she said. He said, "She got, she's got those big, beautiful, round eyes." He said, and she started tearing up. She nodded her head and just looked at me and said, "Okay." His boss thought he was a fool when he quit his job in September of two thousand and nine, and he sold his possessions. At first, his mom was terrified. She said, I was in fear for my child. I just prayed and prayed that if this was God's will for him, then I would feel peace about it. Almost immediately, she felt light, calmness uh, about her. She said she felt God saying, he was mine before he was yours, and I'm going to take care of him. Does this sound crazy to you? Do you know anybody that would do something like this? This is God's upside-down kingdom. This is God leading people in ways that we probably wouldn't even think. There's an expectation of what we want Christianity to be. And there's something that maybe Jesus is looking for us to do that's very countercultural. Now, I'm not saying sell all your possessions and go and live homeless. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying how God led this young man. See, he um, he started in Florida, and then after that, he went to Atlanta. He heard that they had very dangerous streets in Atlanta, right? He said... Quote, I heard I was was going to die in Atlanta, so before I took off for Georgia, I swung back home to see my family and friends just in case. He would get to know the homeless, he would pass out items for them, he would live with them in the streets sharing the love of God. He met another man named Matt Fulman who had done the exact same thing when he was challenged. That he sold everything that he had and he went and he started living on the streets to be the salt and light of the earth, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to these people that were homeless. They started a movement called Clothe Your Neighbor as Yourself. Some call him crazy, but homeless, but James was known to the homeless people that that knew him as Mr. Butters. Why? Because he spreads the love like he spreads the butter. So he was called Mr. Butters. From their website, it says, our story began when our founder, stirred by the example of Jesus, quit his job, sold everything he owned, and chose to live homeless among people in the margins. We're on a mission to help you see, love, and join those in the margins too. Does it make sense? No. But Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday didn't make sense either. Because the people expected one thing. And Jesus knew that it was something completely different. And so he challenges us and he asks us, cause he's ushering in this upside down kingdom. He's ushering in this kingdom that doesn't make sense to everyone, but it makes sense to Jesus cause he loves people like no one else does. And that's what his kingdom is about. So let's run to the arms of Jesus. Let's go to him and find rest and refuge in his presence and let him tell us what his kingdom is all about. Let's sing to the Lord.